My name is John Musgrave. Uh, I serve as the uh, church development director at the network. Uh, have been serving in that capacity for 11 years. Um, I also pastor in Bell Fountain, Ohio, which is uh, about an hour west of Columbus, uh, right off of Route 33. And um, so uh, we're glad that you're here today. And uh, we'll go ahead and get started. So if I can pull my notes up, that would be a good thing, wouldn't it? I was going to say on the count of three, everybody say their name, but that probably wouldn't accomplish very much except chaos. So, uh, but uh, I, uh, I live with the value, the conviction that the leaders in our church, they want to do a good job. Um, having served in the church in various capacities, um, you know, uh, uh, oh, okay, that's all right. I'm not going to take it personal. <laughs> Happens every Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, goodness. But uh, I live with the value, the conviction that people want to do a good job. Um, they, uh, uh, having served in the church for uh, many years, um, you know, I've, I've seen some people that uh, maybe caused some frustration, uh, maybe even caused a little dissension, uh, but many times that frustration is caused because they're just not sure what their job is, what their role is, what, what they're expected to do. Uh, and I, I've lived with that value, and I'm not saying there's not a, you know, a bad egg in the group. I'm not saying there's not once in a while where you've got someone that's got a little bit of a contentious spirit or whatever, but I, I think overall, a high percentage, a high percentage of people, they really want to serve the Lord, they want to serve the church, and they want to do uh, the job they've been called to do. And uh, so today I want to look at that, that relationship between the pastor uh, and what I would call his other leaders. That could be staff, that could be board uh, and so forth, and I'd like to begin by just uh, kind of calling our attention to a, a term that I came across, uh, you know, several years ago in, in reading and also in Bible study, the concept of an armor bearer, the concept of an armor bearer. Uh, if you would go to Judges or First Samuel, uh, you would find that word used multiple times and you get the idea that the armor bearer was called alongside a leader, uh, a king, uh, a prince, uh, to basically just serve that individual. Uh, I know we would think armor bearer, and we would think in terms of them maybe carrying the shield or carrying the armament and so forth, but um, you get the idea that even with David, David actually started as Saul's armor bearer. He started as Saul's, and one translation of that says that he was Saul's adjunct. He was Saul's adjunct. In other words, he basically did whatever Saul wanted him to do. And I think most of us remember David primarily playing music for Saul. You know, when the evil spirit would come across Saul, he would call for the, the minstrel. He would call for the psalmist, and David would begin to play and sing, 
And that would allow that evil spirit to, to be driven out and allow the spirit of God to return. And, and I just mentioned that because uh, I think sometimes we can hear a term, i.e. armor bearer, and we can immediately put that back into a historical context. And we can say, well, yeah, they carried a spear, they carried a shield. And I don't know about you, but I don't know too many pastors that carry shields and spears anymore. You know, uh, you know I was in a church a few weeks ago. Uh, and um, I stepped, I was a special speaker that day, uh, and I stepped into the, the, the building, and I'm literally, before I could take a step, there was someone there taking my Bible from me, taking my little briefcase from me, handing me a water and saying, Pastor, you come here, you, you sit here. It was an African church. And, and I, I, I was like, wow. I mean, immediately, you know, I felt like, man, I'm the king here today, you know. And, but throughout the whole service, throughout the whole service, you could just tell that there was a group of people that had been chosen, and they were going to serve my needs that day. They were going to serve my needs that day, regardless of what they were. And, you know, and you could just tell that. And, and I would suggest to you, that's the picture I get when I hear the word armor bearer, that there's this group of people that have been called alongside to serve the leader, uh, to serve whoever is leading that. And I know we can take that to an extreme and we can take that too far, but I think it's also interesting, early in David's time with Saul, and again, depending on which translation you read there in 1 Samuel, and there's several verses that allude to it, there's one translation that basically gives you the indication that David, once he left the sheep, he went and stayed with Saul. Okay, But, but there's another section of scripture that gives us the indication that, that David went back and forth, tending Saul, tending sheep. Tending Saul, tending sheep. Now, again, I don't want to get into a, a theological debate here today, but, but I like that second rendition where that, that seems more, I'll call it contextual, because it, it seems like there probably was a back and forth. And I would suggest to you that as a leader, as a pastor, particularly as I'm looking at those that are serving in a lay capacity, I've, I've got to keep in mind that, that they have a back and forth. And by that I mean they're not doing this full time. You know, they've got a family to take care of. They've got a job that they're working. They've got other things that they're trying to do. And I think sometimes as the leader, we can kind of get a little upset about that. Well, if you were more committed, you, if you were, you know, oh, time out, wait a minute. They're already giving you 20 hours a week. On top of the 50 hours they work, and on top of the 20 soccer games they had to go through that week. You know what I'm saying? Let's be, let's be real about this. I think sometimes we, we're real quick as pastors to forget, to forget that there's a back and forth that that layperson is living, okay? Yeah, they do want to serve us. They do want to serve their church, but they also have some other very real needs on their plate, and we don't want them to ignore those or abuse those either. So I just say that in context of the armor bearer, I get a picture of someone who's called alongside to serve a leader, to, to help the leader fulfill their vision, to help the vision, to help the leader fulfill what they've been called to do. But, but I love that sense in David's life where at least early in his time with Saul, there seemed to be, a, for lack of a better word, a splitting of responsibilities where for a season he would go tend the sheep and take care of his family's needs. 
And for a season, he would come and be with Saul and tend to the king's needs. And I, I like that because I think that's the reality we live in in the Western church. That we have many people that serve us who, again, want to do a good job. But sometimes I think we can be a little bit too, I'll call it demanding, expecting a little more of them than, than real, is realistic. And sometimes the gap between our expectation and their performance, that brings an area called frustration. And I would suggest sometimes our expectation might be a little too high, and sometimes maybe their performance isn't quite what it could be, but whatever that gap is, that's an opportunity for frustration, and that's an opportunity for the enemy to use those two things against us. Okay, and my goal today would be, first of all, to, to, to help us to understand that we probably need to, in a sense, redefine our expectation. And probably in some cases, we might need to up our performance a little bit. But my goal would be that we would be able to close that gap to reduce as much frustration as we can. Not saying we're going to reduce it all, but reduce as much as we can. So, you know, the concept of the armor bearer helps me with that. And the other thing that I want to just mention is we need to realize that both ends of this are growing in grace together. Uh, You know, Pastor, if you're here today, I I know that you think and your wife thinks, but you're not perfect. You're still growing too. You're still maturing in your walk with Christ. And so when somebody comes to you with, maybe a revelation of a blind spot or something you've missed, you know, they're not attacking your character. They're not attacking you as a person. They're wanting you to grow in your faith. And there's a right way to do that. There's a wrong way to do that. But we as pastors need to be recognizing that we're growing in grace together. And just as the leaders around us are growing in grace and growing in their walk with God and maturing you know, I've been in this thing a long time, and I'm, I'm getting to be an old man now, and I don't even like thinking about that, but um, I've still got a lot to learn. I've still got a lot to learn, and I don't want to ever get out of that mode that I've kind of learned it all. You know, I know every, no, I'm learning, and uh, we had a sweet lady in, in Girard. I pastored in Girard, Ohio, by Youngstown for about 27 years, and we had a sweet lady there that lied every Sunday. She lied every Sunday. I started pastoring at church, I think, when I was 20, 22, 23 years old. And uh, she lied every Sunday. She said, Pastor John, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> and she meant it. And I appreciated hearing it because, you know, it was nice to hear that, you know. That was the best sermon I ever heard, you know. Almost every Sunday she would say that. But there was a few times in my ministry there that she would come and say, Pastor, can I talk to you? And she would speak into my life. And, you know, Pastor, you know, I was one of the founding members here. And, you know, I've seen a lot of pastors come and go. And I just wanted to point something out to you. Now, because I knew she loved me, I was ready to receive that. You understand what I'm saying? Now, There were other people that didn't say nice things about me. And if they would have come to me and said, Pastor, can I talk to you? I would have listened to them, but I would not have received it as well. Because I knew deep down, this dear saint of God, 
she loved her pastor. And she saw a young man that might could learn some things along the way. And she had. She'd been through the journey. But I was ready to receive it. So what I'm saying is that we're growing in grace together. Helen Keller says, alone we can do so little. Together we can do so much. Michael Jordan says it like this, talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. Uh, Patrick Lencioni, the author of Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he says, trust is knowing that when a team member does push you, they're doing it because they care about the team. They care about the team. And, and I would suggest to you, First Corinthians, Paul's right, we are laborers together. As soon as we begin to develop a us and them mentality, we're in serious trouble. When we start developing this you know, us and there, we're in serious trouble. Uh, uh, Gerard Youngstown, very much a union, union area. Uh, uh, that's not quite the same as it was when we were there in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, like I said, I started pastoring there. I was probably 22, 23 years old. Every member of my board was old enough to be my grandfather. Uh, Republic Steel, U.S. Steel, General Motors, all strong union guys. And probably first three to five years, they would come to a board meeting, and this is how they would you know, express themselves. Well, Pastor John, I was talking to this group of the church, and they think we ought to do this. Pastor John, I was talking to this group, and they think we ought to do this. They were bringing their union mentality into the boardroom. They, they, were, they, they were representing a group of people, and they were bringing that into the boardroom. And I'm so young that I, I'm, I'm green, man. I just, you know, okay, you know. About four or five years into that, you know, I started getting a little bit of, you know, idea of what was going on and so forth. And I, I don't remember the exact timetable, but there came a time when somebody said that in the board meeting, and, and it was kind of like they were developing an us and them mentality. You know, we feel this, pastor, you feel this. And that was not the case at all, but that's what they were bringing into the boardroom. And so one day, one of them brought that into the boardroom. And, and I'd been there, like I said, about four or five years. And I said, you know, guys, you know, I, I really think that you know that I love you and I love this group of people. But I said, when you come to the board meeting, I really don't want to hear. I've been talking to this group and this is what they think we should do. I said, what I want to hear you say is, I've been praying about this, and I think this is what God might want us to do. I said, and we're going to put those things on the table, and we're going to move forward together. And I didn't change that mentality overnight, and I probably never changed it completely, but, but it was also that I was trying to create, it's not about us and them. It's not about what the congregation wants and what I want or what they want. We're laborers together. And I think if we in our leadership role can, can really begin to see that, that even though we might play a different position, we're still very much on the same team. And uh, uh, there's diversity in ministry, but unity in purpose. Diversity in ministry, unity of purpose, but there needs to be a humility of spirit as well. Um, it's probably not true as much now as it used to be, but, you know, Paul uses the illustration of, you know, how that, you know, one prepares the soil, one plants the seed, one pulls the weeds, and God brings the harvest. And I would suggest to you that, 
that we need to see our, our, our pastors and our board, our pastors and our leadership teams, even though we have a different function, we're still playing on the same team. And there's things that I will not be able to accomplish if I don't have the right team around me. I cannot do it all by myself. It's impossible to do everything that needs to be done by myself. And the sooner we begin to realize that, the better off we're going to be. And, you know, Nehemiah talks very much about this concept. And I just simply say it's like mortar in the, in the wall. But if you would walk through Nehemiah 3 you would find where one group built this part of the wall and one group this part of the wall and one group this part of the wall. They just kind of went around and built sections of the wall. Now, all of us would obviously, man, they got a lot done. Well, why did they get a lot done? Because this one knew I'm building this section. This one knew I'm building this section. This one building this section and so forth and so on. And can you imagine for a moment if one person or one small group, you're going to build the whole wall and we're just going to sit over and watch you do it. You know, they wouldn't get near as much done and not nearly as productive. And, and sometimes I think we create that environment in the church and it can be pastor looking at a board to do a lot of things or board looking at a pastor to do a lot of things, pastor looking at staff, staff looking at a pastor. But somehow, someway, we've got to get this down into our, our spirits that we are a team Growing and working together. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a football fan, and um, I think Peyton Manning does a really good job playing quarterback. But I have difficulty seeing him doing a decent job playing quarterback if he doesn't have a couple offensive lines and linemen in front of him. I have a really difficult time seeing him doing a good job playing quarterback when the receiver's just decide, I don't want to catch the ball. Or the running back says, I don't want it. Don't, don't give it to me. I don't think Peyton Manning would have near the statistics that he has if there wasn't other people around him doing what they do well. And we could say the same thing. You know, Ezekiel Elliott has done a great job with the Dallas Cowboys. He did a great job at Ohio State. But the same thing. I mean, if a quarterback doesn't put that ball in his breadbasket, he can't do that. If there's not a couple guys up there knocking a couple other guys out of the way, he's not going to do that. And I would just suggest to you that, that we need to get it into our psyche that whoever our team is, uh, again, and I'm not saying it's there, but I think sometimes it can be there that we don't really see ourselves as a team working together. We don't see ourselves as a cohesive unit. We just see ourselves kind of isolated, kind of doing our own thing and so forth. And uh, I would suggest to you that for me, and again, you can call them different people in your setting, but, you know, today for our purposes, uh, take, for example, the pastor. Um, um, I believe God calls pastors to a particular place for a particular season of time. Now, again, our fellowship allows, um, you know, a little different selection process and so forth than some other denominations. I was talking to someone, uh, uh, your wife, uh, yesterday, and she's been a secretary of church, and I think she's had four or five pastors since she's been there, and, you know, they just, uh, you know, they just move them around a lot, you know, and, uh, uh, and there's some denominations, you know, you're there X number of years, and you move, and so forth, and we have a little more of a congregational form of government where congregations uh, are able to choose their pastor, but regardless of how the pastor is there, 
you know, I, I believe simplistically, God, in a sense, has called him for that season. Now, if you look at some of the scriptures, 1 Timothy 5 gives us an indication that the pastor is to direct the affairs of the church. Titus chapter 1 says that the pastors, the elders, are supposed to straighten out the unfinished business. Ephesians 4 says that the fivefold ministry gift, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, is to prepare God's people for works of service. Acts chapter 6 tells us that Peter and the apostles were trying to wait on the tables and trying to preach and so forth. And they said it's not good for us to leave the preaching of the word to wait on the tables, okay? And I would like to suggest to you, talking about pastor, elder, and also talking about a role, I'm real simple. You're not going to get a whole lot of deep stuff in this session today. But I think, personally, you can pretty well sum up a pastor's job description using three P words. Three P words. Yeah, I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to give them to you, Okay. Uh, first P word is there in Acts. Now wait on table so that we can give ourselves to prayer. Prayer. If you call your pastor and he says something like, you know, I'm just spending some time in prayer, please do not say, oh, well, you're not doing anything. He's probably doing one of the most important things he can do. Is seek God. If you're the one in the hospital going through a surgery, you're hoping somebody's praying for you. (laughs) If you just lost your spouse and you're going through that grief, you're hoping somebody's on their face before God. If they're getting ready to deliver the word for the next week, I think we're hoping they're getting a hold of God before they get behind the pulpit. So I think sometimes we minimize that, but I don't think we should ever minimize it. I think we should free up our pastor's schedule so he can pray. Because I see in Acts, that was one of the reasons why it's not good for us to be waiting on these tables. It's not good for us to be distributing food. We should be giving ourselves to prayer. And uh, the second thing we find in Acts 2 is preaching. Preaching. Uh, There was a time in our fellowship, it's not as much the case, Uh, But, you know, they would very quickly during your licensing interview or your ordination interview, they would ask you about your call to preach. And they would define it very much that way. When did you feel a call to preach? They didn't ask you about a call to be a mechanic. They didn't ask you about a call to be a drywaller. They didn't ask you about a call even to, quote, pastor. They would ask you, when did you feel the, when did you sense a call to preach? And if you weren't able to give a pretty clear definitive of that, then they would probably say to you, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you have a call. You had to be able to pretty well define what that experience was like. What caused you to believe that God called you to preach? And I would suggest to you, and again, I know we've got a lot of wonderful helps today. And don't get me on this sawhorse because I'll stay there a long time, but you know, Sermon Central and Google this and Google that and Google the other. You can find some really good sermons 
all over the place. And I'm not minimizing that. You know, you can preach what the last best author wrote and all that good stuff. And I'm a reader. I mean, I, I'm going to take that stuff in. But, but my congregation does not want my regurgitation of sister or brother or whatever so-and-so. They want to know that I've got a word for them. So preaching, preaching the gospel. And again, I know I'm being very simplistic here, but, but again, I really feel that we need to just look at the role, okay? Uh, and then the third thing is found in Ephesians, preparing God's people for works of service. Depending on preparing, preparing God's people for works of service. Uh, depending on which Bible you read, the punctuation in Ephesians 4 is different. Um, some of the translations leave out the comma. Uh, and so it gives you the idea that the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher were preparing God's people and the, the fivefold was supposed to do the works of service as well. Well, again, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but if you research it and so forth, there's a comma there that says that that fivefold ministry are to prepare God's people for works of service. And, and I think sometimes, and again, we're going to get into the other roles here in just a few moments, but, you know, uh, would to God that somebody could walk up to a pastor who's painting the nursery and say, Pastor, you shouldn't be doing this today. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be willing to do that. I'm not saying he shouldn't be willing to do anything. But, Pastor, you know, I'd rather you be preparing the message. I'd rather you show me how to do this so that you can be free to do the things that I believe God's called you to do. And I think sometimes because pastors have become all things to all people, we, we, we demand a lot of them sometimes. And I think there's times we need to narrow it down a little bit and say, what, what is my pastor really supposed to be doing? And I'm not saying there's not more things that he's supposed to be doing, but I believe prayer, preaching, and preparing God's people for works of service should, should be the primary things that a pastor is giving himself to. And I think it would be wise for those around that pastor if they see some of those things falling into neglect, that the pastor has somebody that can speak into their lives, say, Pastor, are you spending enough time in prayer? Not in a condemning way, not in a convicting way, but Pastor, are, are you getting the time you need to prepare the message? You know, are you getting enough time to really research and really, you know, to have some people, some armor bearers in their lives that are wise enough to say, you know, Pastor, I don't know if you're doing this. Uh, you know, Gary, it predates you, but when I was at Liberty, uh, the church there, um, we went through a season where the church was probably averaging 200, 225, something like that. And we had two Sunday morning services and a Sunday night service. And uh, um, I, I like to sing and I like to lead worship, and we didn't have a whole lot of other help in that regard at that time. So it wasn't uncommon for me to lead worship, preach, lead worship, preach, lead worship, preach every Sunday. And uh, there came a season where we had some staff changes and we were able to bring another worship leader on to, to help with that. And uh, I remember somebody coming up to me about, you know, five, six weeks after that. And um, they said, you know, Pastor, your, your preaching just seems so much better now, so much deeper now. Well, why was that? Number one, I wasn't as tired on Sunday. And number two, I was having more time to devote to that aspect of the ministry. 
Okay? And that's all I'm saying. I don't think we should uh, cause pastors to be lazy. I don't think we should cause pastors to so recluse themselves that, that they're not doing the work of the ministry. But I think we also need to be real that they need to spend time in prayer. And uh, they need to be spending time preparing, preaching. And they need to be spending time preparing God's people for works of service. Now, again, having said that, you know, most pastors are going to shepherd their people. There's a hospital call. There's a family going through grief and so forth and so on. Uh, I would suggest to you that, uh, for me anyway, uh, that, again, falls under preparing God's people for works of service. And I, I don't want to spread that too thin, but, you know, if, if I've got a key leader who's going through a very difficult time, and I'm spending time with that key leader because of that difficult time, I'm not only ministering to them, but I'm helping prepare them so that they can be the person God wants them to be. And as they get through that, my ministry to that person is probably going to allow them to maybe provide that same ministry for someone else down the road because they're going to duplicate that which they've seen modeled. Okay? So I don't want to spread that too thin, but uh, preparing God's people for works of service, it can be pretty broad. You know, last Monday night I spent the evening at our church helping a guy rip out a wall. Okay? Uh, I'm not, not opposed to that, not above that, and so forth. But at the same time, in three years when the church triples, I hope I'm not the guy there tearing out a wall. I hope I've trained somebody else enough that they can do it you know, on their own and so forth. So that's all I'm saying. So I'm preparing God's people for those works of service. Now, I think it's interesting. This is the same principle that is used in the Old Testament. We see it in the Old Testament when Moses was like, man, this, this weight's heavy, man. I can't lead this people by myself. So what did God say? Gather 70 elders, bring them around you, and I'm going to take the spirit that is on you, and I'm going to deposit it on those 70 elders. So what was God saying? You're right, Mo. You can't do this. It's too much for you. But his answer wasn't to give Moses a greater job description. His answer was, Moses, I want to give you some help. In the book of Acts, the disciples said, we can't do all this stuff. We can't do this and continue to be effective. What was God's response? Select seven men, bring them here, set them before the people, and we're going to anoint them. We're going to lay hands on them so they can help you. So I think we see a consistent principle there. And then (coughs) I... uh, I want us to move now to what I would call the board member, the, the deacon, the advisory committee member, whatever station of church you're in. Uh, I think it's interesting in the book of Acts that, and we, we don't like this. I know you're not, you're not going to listen to this thing two weeks from now because it was so good. Um, um, it's interesting to me that in the book of Acts, the terminology used is select seven men that we can appoint over this business that we can appoint over this ministry. Now, we don't like that. You know, we, we don't like that. But again, going back to what Timothy and Titus said, the elder, the pastor, was supposed to set things in order. The elder, the pastor, was supposed to make sure things function correctly. And the challenge we have here is we've brought a democracy into the church And I'm not saying we shouldn't allow for congregation and shouldn't allow for voice. We need that. But at the same time, we we, we need to go back to, you know, is there somebody calling the shots? Can you imagine? I think this is the way the Cleveland Browns play every Sunday, so I want to be careful here. But can you imagine the the coach calling a play and, and the quarterback saying, I don't like that play. I want to run that play. 
I mean, can you imagine that? You know, and what happens if, you know, the coach calls a play and the quarterback and the running back says, well, I'm not going to run that play. I'm going to run this play. No, I'm going to do this. And everybody just kind of thought, well, we're going to do. Can you imagine how they'd lose, wouldn't they? <laughs> but, you know, but I, what I'm saying, I think sometimes we brought that liberty into the church. And we've missed some of the teachings that, again, we're talking a pastor that has the right heart, has the right spirit, has the intentions, the, 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 the group, the church in, in their best sites. They really want what's best with you. And because of that, they've been praying, they've been ministering, they've been building up the people. And then through that prayer and so forth, they say, I'd like you to take care of this. I'd like you to lead this. I'd like you to be over this. And so, and when that, that, that board member, that uh, deacon, that advisor, when, when they see that heart and they see, hey, I want to be an armor bearer for my pastor, pastor, whatever you want me to do, then immediately I think we can see where this thing's going to flow so much better. And then we get the same idea, not only from the book of Acts, but when you get into 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and so forth, you get the sense that, that the, deacon, the deacons and that group of people are supposed to be helping further the cause of Christ. Now, I, I, you get the sense in the book of Acts that they were given physical, physical things to do. Wait on tables. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, that doesn't excite me. I mean, I, I try to give good tips at restaurants. I, and if you're a waiter or waitress in this group here today, God love you. Because I see some people that are really abused in that profession. You know, that, that waiter, that waitress, I mean, they, they get the flack, you know. I mean, if the food's not quite right, you don't go back and talk to the cook. You tell that waitress how bad it is, you know. I mean, if, if, if you got the wrong thing, you know, you don't go back there. You, you look at them and say, what, what's wrong with this? And who suffers? They don't get the tip. They don't get the, you know. And, and this is what I see when I talk about waiting. But let's be honest about it. Sometimes the deacon, the board member, has to deal with some of the stuff that isn't fun. It's not fun. But somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to be willing to do it. We find that they had the physical affairs. And I would suggest they also were willing to receive responsibility. Receive responsibility. And that may sound kind of, you know, similar. But, you know, uh, Peter is saying, man, it's not good that we do all this. We got to find a different plan we need somebody else to do this physical responsibility so we can give ourselves to prayer and preaching. This physical responsibility right now is waiting on tables. In your church, it might be making sure the van runs every Sunday morning. It might be so that the donuts are at the welcome table every Sunday morning. It might be so that communion is ready for the Sunday, to, whatever that physical responsibility. Now, if the pastor doesn't have confidence that that person can receive that responsibility, what's the pastor going to be doing? Hey, is the van running today? You know, did you fill it up with gas? I mean, did you check the oil? If the pastor doesn't have a confidence that that responsibility can be received, they've really not released it. They've really not. So we've got to be willing to receive responsibilities. And in our context or your context, like I said, it might be something totally different. Okay? But, but we've got to ask ourselves, what are some of the physical things that a board member or deacon or that group could do that will remove that from the pastor's plate or responsibility and that they're willing to receive. So again, the pastor can be praying, can be preaching, can be preparing God's people for works of service and so that they know that that's going to be done 
quasi like it's supposed to be done. Okay? Uh, in our service about six months ago, and we have somebody preparing communion. And, I mean, I'm greeting people at the front door. We're like five minutes away from starting service. And somebody walks over and says, we don't have enough wine. We don't have enough grape juice. Now, at that moment, I can't do a thing about this. I mean, you know, I am five minutes from going into the service. I mean, you know, I'm going to be preaching in 30 minutes. I am not sure why they're even telling me this, you know. And, and so it's like, so what do you, I think we need to cancel communion. Well, see, that's not, that's not a win for me, okay? I think there's a Kroger's in town. <laughs> I think there's a Walmart in town. In fact, I think it's like 100 yards from our building. You could walk there fast, you know. I mean, that's what's going through my head. But their solution was to cancel communion. Now, what went through my mind was more than you want to know. But I'm, I'm thinking, like, I'm never asking this person to do this again. I mean, if they can't handle getting the communion emblems ready, what can I trust them with? You know, and when did they find out we didn't have enough wine? You know, I mean, why didn't they check it like a week before or something? You know, so all that's going through my head. But that left me with a sense of, man, can I, will they receive, will they receive leadership? Will they receive oversight? That left me with a no, 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 no. So we got to the, this is the solution they came up with. I think we've got enough for 42 cups. So now I'm halfway through the service counting heads. I'm serious. You're laughing. I am serious. That was their solution to not having enough grape juice. Okay. So I'm literally up there going. And so I, I counted like 49 bodies. And, you know, in most churches, most people are going to take communion. So, so I did. We canceled communion that day. Okay, because we only had enough for 42. So I wasn't about to say, which seven don't want to <laughs> And I'm using that as an illustration, but it, it brings the point home. You not only have to be willing to take a physical, but you need to be able to receive responsibility. Receive that. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, as a pastor... And I, I, I try to be honest all the time. I don't know why you added that to that sentence. But. but one of the reasons why I think pastors have difficulty releasing things is because there is an uncertainty as to whether it's going to be done. There's an uncertainty there. And, and so that's why sometimes someone might be asked to do more of a minimal task and see how they perform in that minimal, and then elevate that and so forth. And, and like I said, I entered into a culture. Uh, the church at Gerard was 48 years when I entered the culture, uh, and I was 22. Most of the board members were, like I said, my grandpa, grandpa's age. Uh, they knew how to do church, but I didn't know if I could trust them or not. So every time there's a, a new change, that trust has got to be built. That trust has got to be cultivated, but we've got to be able to receive receive that responsibility and then i would also say that the bottom line and this is true whether you be a pastor or a deacon the bottom line is we're here to serve people we're here to serve people it's really not about getting communion ready on a sunday or gassing up a van or or making sure that a wall's painted or it's really about serving people and if we lose sight of that 
we're, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. I mean, um, you, your church has never had this problem, but once in a while we would have people at the Gerard Church that they wanted to be a deacon. I'm not sure why anybody would want to be a deacon. Okay, I say that, you know, uh, you know and mainly because they had to work with me. Okay? But what I'm saying is they, they wanted the title. They wanted, oh, you're a deacon at that church? They, they wanted the notoriety that, oh, look who I am, you know. And let's be honest, we have that in the pastorate too. We have people that want to be the pastor. Okay? And again, to me, that's, a, that's not a good base for leadership. We're here to serve people. And we serve people to the best of our ability. If we lose sight of that, whether an elder, pastor, or deacon, advisory, board member, I personally think we've, we, we've lost it because it can't be about our position or our title. It needs to be about how can I serve my sister? How can I serve my brother? And being able to do that. So now from that... I would just suggest, and again, I don't know what your bylaws say. I don't know what your constitution says. Um, and again, in my context, um, you know, uh, I work with churches throughout the year. Uh, and I, I help with board meetings. I help with staff meetings. I help with pastoral transitions. Um, and, uh, you know, I've seen some very good, positive things. And I've seen some pretty clunky things. Um, and uh, I would suggest from that, from, okay, here's the basic role of a pastor, okay, prayer, preaching, preparing God's people for works of service. Here's the basic role of a deacon, of a board member, okay, being able to take a physical task and be able to receive responsibility and serve people. But from that, you've got to look through your government structure. You've got to look through your government structure. And again, although we're all assembly of God, Trust me, Assembly of God is a very broad swash swatch when you talk about government structures and so forth. And uh, I would just suggest you need to look at that. So let, let's look at that for a moment in, in your context. When you think of those three terms, pastor, okay, prayer, preaching, and preparing, what are some of the branches that need to go out from that that you would see your pastor doing? Okay. Now, for example, uh, preparing God's people for works of service, again, a very broad thing, but, but is the pastor, is there leadership training going on in your church? You know, is there some places where people are being recruited and drafted, in a sense, and brought in, and are they learning skills? Are they learning, okay? Uh, do we just throw them in the nursery? Do we just throw them in the children's church? Do we just kind of give them the quarterly and say, God bless you, have a good time? You know, the, they're like the fifth teacher in the last three weeks, but I hope, I hope you do good, you know? I mean, is that training? Is that preparing God's people? No. And, and I'm not saying the pastor should be responsible for all of those things, but there needs to be something where that pastor is giving into other people's lives a tangible thing that says, we're trying to raise up a group of people that can do the works of service. Okay? Now, prayer. What's that look like in your, you know, I don't know. But I don't know about you, but when I go to a church and there's a prayer meeting, and I've got to be careful here because I'm probably going to step on somebody's toe, but, you know, if there's a prayer meeting and the pastor never comes, that's a little disconcerting to me. Because one of the things I believe I need to be doing in preparing God's people for work is modeling prayer. 
they need to see pastor doing that, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying he has to be at every prayer meeting, you know, seven nights a week, but if he's absent from everything, it's kind of like, wait a minute, who's teaching your people how to pray? I don't know. I'm thankful for people that, I don't know that he taught me how to pray, but I prayed beside him long enough that I think I learned a few things. You understand what I'm saying? I caught their passion. I caught their fervor. I, I caught their sense of, man, I want to pray like that, you know. Well, where did I learn that? At? Because I was with them in a prayer meeting or a prayer time. So I'm just saying what that looks like in your context probably going to be a little bit different. But I think you can see where even those three simple words, prayer, preaching, preparing, could turn into a 50, 60-hour week pretty quick. Well, if that's all I have to do as a pastor, I think I'm going to become a pastor. Those three words expanded on and really implemented in the local setting can become quite the job description without some of the other stuff that we kind of put on that tree that really aren't part of those three words. And uh, so, uh, and I think uh, we need to look at that in our con. But then let's go to the board, the, 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 the deacon, trustee thing. Uh, that's going to look different in your context too. Uh, again, and, and I'm just going to offer suggestions, and that's all I can do. Uh, but um, I've been in board meetings, and I'm looking around. I don't think I've been in any of yours. So, uh, well, maybe one <laughs> hops over here. So I got to be careful. So I don't think I've been to Gavin's board meetings yet. But I've been to his church. But uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I that setting where everything is kind of done by consensus. You know, a subject is raised, they surface the subject, and then they kind of look around, the, well, who's going to take care of this? And you know board members. You know, there's always one that's, you know, I'll do that, I'll do it. So one guy's doing a bunch of stuff, and there's always a couple that are like... So they leave the room really not having any responsibility, and you got this other guy, oh, man. You know, and I'm just saying that I, I just don't think that's the way it should be done. I don't think, I've been in board meetings where five board members basically quiz the pastor for an hour and a half about what they did this month. Pastor, did you do this? Pastor, did you do this? Pastor, did you get that done? Pastor, and I'm sitting there going, well, I don't like this model either, you know. And uh, so I'm just suggesting that I believe that what that fleshes out like in your church, being able to accept physical responsibilities, being able to, to, to take uh, assignments and so forth, and being able to serve people, what that looks like in your church might be different, but I would suggest that there's probably going to be some physical responsibilities in your church that I don't think the pastor should be the primary go-to person for. Okay. I'm not saying the pastor shouldn't be involved. I'm not saying the pastor shouldn't be, you know, but I don't think they should be the primary go-to person. And what that looks like for us, you know, uh, we, we had uh, we, a physical plant, uh, probably about 15,000, 16,000 square foot under roof and 30 acres of property. Okay. So we had one person that took care of everything on the outside. Anything to do with the outside of the building, that was their responsibility. And again, not that they had to do it, but they just had to make sure it got done. Who's going to mow the grass this year? 
You know, who's going to shovel snow this year? You know, uh, if, if something gets broke on the outside of the building, who's going to get the cost and the, you know, the estimate? Who's going to take care of that? So, and then they would, they would then bring to the board meeting, hey, Pastor John, I just want to let you know that this air conditioning unit's not working anymore. I've got to call a repairman and so forth. And they would call the repairman. That wasn't, they didn't, Pastor, you need to do that. Pastor, you, we, we tried to farm that out in that regard. We had somebody else, anything on the inside of the building was somebody else's responsibility. So if it was inside the building, a wall, a carpet, anything like that, they brought that to the board meeting. So immediately, you know, the hey man, had a kid go through the wall this last week, and I think we've got to repair the drywall, and I don't know what's going to be involved in it. I think we can get it done voluntarily, but I'm not sure yet. Well, you go ahead and get some estimates on that and bring that back the next time, and we'll make a decision on that. And then we had somebody else who was in charge of all unattached equipment. So if it wasn't attached to the wall, refrigerator, stove, uh, anything like that, a projection unit, a sound system, anything like that, somebody else had that responsibility. So somebody come in and say, hey, the stove in the kitchen went bad. We, I, don't know, I don't know if it's worth repairing. We'll get some estimates on that. Let us know, and we'll take care of that. You know? and so, so we divided the, the, the plant up in various ways so that each one had a slice of the pie. Okay, And instead of them asking me what I got done that month, they would bring a report. So we would go around, anything on the outside need taken care of? No, we're good this month, no problem. Anything on the inside? No, we're good. Anything about that? And maybe there would be one thing. Okay, let's, let's talk about that. What are we going to do? And we might even at that time authorize. We might say something like, hey, up to $500, go ahead and take care of it. You know, up to three hundred dollars, go into whatever. You know, we wanted to release that to them to do. Uh, and then we had some. We had vehicles. We had three vans, and always felt bad for the person that got it, the vans, because inevitably that was one of the most intense things. Because something's always going wrong with the vehicle. You know, what I mean, something's always going wrong. So, so that was that. And then we brought in for us. And I'm just, I'm just giving you illustrations, okay? For us, then we brought in spiritual responsibilities as well. Okay, and, and although that sounds like a real cool word, they're not as spiritual as you want, but we would have a board member that, that was overseeing the communion. Okay, so whenever we did communion, they knew that either they or they had to get somebody to get communion ready, i.e. the conversation, we're out of wine. I, I didn't like that conversation, you know. We had another board member that oversaw missions. Okay, so all the missions communications that came in, they received those communications. They went through those communications, and we gave them instructions or what we wanted to hear about. If they were supporting missionaries and they had a financial need, we want to know about that. If they were a non-supporting missionary and that was something they felt, hey, I'd like to see us do something. Well, they brought that into the board meeting and so forth. But mission, we had another person that was in charge of water baptism. So when we had announced a water baptism service, they knew it was their job to get the tank ready. It was their job to get people on both sides of that tank to make sure they could get them in and get them out. They knew that they had to get the towels, they, all that stuff. That was their responsibility to make sure. And, and you know, a week before, I was, hey, are we ready next week? Yeah, we're good to go, Pastor. No problem. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? So we try, And we, we had somebody else that was in charge of opening and closing for the month. Okay. And so for one month, they'd open and close. And pastors know what that's like. You know, you're always the last one, you know, and we don't want to be the last one, but nobody else is there, you know, but we, we'd have those things and so forth. And then I always tried to give our board members because we saw them as deacons. And again, your government might be different, but when we had prayer time, I wanted our deacons praying with people. 
When we had water baptism, I, I wanted our, our deacons involved in that service. I, I wanted them sometimes to be even baptizing people and so forth. Why was I doing that? Because I wanted them to be elevated in the eyes of the people, not just as a task person, but as part of our spiritual leadership team. Now, I know some churches have elders and deacons, and I understand that. But for our church, our board members were seen as deacons and almost similarly a spiritual oversight as well as a physical oversight. So we tried to give them some responsibilities that would allow the people to see them as a spiritual leader, as a spiritual person overseeing spiritual things. Uh, I would ask deacons that wanted to uh, if they'd be open to visiting hospitals. And I had some deacons, man, I don't want to be close to a hospital. I don't like all those IVs. I don't like all that stuff. I can't do that. But I would have one or two deacons that, yeah, I, I love to, I like to do that. And they would be on a rotating schedule. And so they would visit the hospitals once a month. For one month, they'd call the church. Hey, is anybody in the hospital this week? Okay, I'll go visit those two people. Now, that didn't take the place of the pastor doing it. It was an additional thing. And we were amazed how much people enjoyed Man, it was so good to have Deacon so-and-so come by. It was so neat to see that board member in here. It was nice to see that. You know, you know, I'm paid to do that, right? They did it because they wanted to. Okay? So we tried to spread out that workload to where they were given some physical responsibility, some spiritual responsibility. And then when we all came together, they had reports in those areas. We made decisions. And then, of course, there's always those things that you know, you got a building program going on. You know, you're applying for a new loan. You know, you're, you're taking care of that. You know, that's just part of that. Everybody's part of that. But uh, uh, I have found again, and, and again, uh, I have found when people are given a clear role, and you understand that, I found that allows them to do a better job. Okay? Uh, 27 years, I had a lot of board members. Okay, um, and uh, I can honestly only say that in those 27 years, and I wouldn't want to think about how many, at one time we had three, at one time we had five at a time, and at one time we had seven at a time on our board. Uh, I can only think of two times, two individuals, that they just weren't, they just weren't gifted in that. You know, they just weren't gifted in that. And, and after their s- season, two years, they just came and said, Pastor, this is just, this is just not for me. You know, it's just not for me. And I would rather them be honest about it. And, you know, okay. And they didn't leave the church. You know, they, they found somewhere else to serve, but they, they realized this is not where I'm supposed to be. And I would suggest to you that that's the reality we live with. So, but uh, um, um, any pushback, any questions? Come on, you got to do better than that. What about the pastor's wife? Well, again, I, I personally feel like, you know, our, our pastor's wife need to be able to follow the call that God has on their lives. Uh, we have some pastor's wives that very much feel like they are uh, called to ministry uh, as much as their spouse. And I believe that, uh, you know, that calling will make room for them in that local church and so forth. Uh, we have other pastor's wife, mine being one of them, um, that, you know, she's very much a behind the scenes person. She's willing to do any of that stuff. But don't ask her to preach. Don't ask her to be up in front of people. Uh, and I think, uh, again, the governance of the church, as well as the, uh, I'll call it the, the culture of the church, uh, I think it needs to make room for that spouse and their call as well. And, uh, I guess I would be more thinking of the terms of 
you know, taking the responsibility out of Vermeer as much as taking it out of the pastors. Take one test back. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you're telling him about delegating across to the deacons of the board or whatever to take that responsibility off the pastor. Do we not try to... Oh, I, I, well, I would agree with that. I would even broad that into any leader. Any leader, I think, uh, you know, um, and I, I know we're time's limited here, but um, a, a worker is someone who does ministry. A leader is someone who helps others do ministry. And most of our churches have abundance of workers, but very few leaders. So I, I think it should be our desire, our goal for leaders to, to get as far away from doing ministry. So that would be true of the pastor, pastor's wife, or even a children's minister, or a youth minister, or a youth leader, WM leader, whatever. They could lead that ministry, but not have to be as, as active in the minutiae of actually day-to-day ministries. That would be true of the pastor's wife, as well as any leader in the church. And the truth of the matter is, our churches many times don't grow or don't move to the next level because we're, we're, we're not developing leaders. We're just developing workers. Uh, and, you know, for example, we might hire a youth pastor to do youth ministry. Well, that's great if you want a worker. But if you want a youth pastor who's going to raise up other youth workers to do ministry, that youth, that youth group's going to be much bigger. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. So in the context of the pastor's wife, I agree with you. We need to be looking for ways that they're not as involved in the work so they can lead more and be the leader in that role. But I would apply that to every other part of the church as well. Anyone else? God bless. Have a great day.